0: From
1: Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. 16,000 residents of D.C. offered testimony in June about the half billion dollar budget for the district's Metropolitan Police Department, and almost all of those heard during the council meeting echoed the national movement call to defund the police.
2: We must defund the police and spend the money on things that actually make our community safer. Schools, healthcare, housing, mental health services, violence interruption programs. I'm calling on the DC council to be on the right side of history.
1: We spend the hour hearing from residents of the most policed city in the United States about how they think money should be spent for human needs and safety.
3: If police are the only public institution that consistently receives budget increases while every other public service is cut, we cannot be surprised when we end up with a police state. I don't know what else to call it when tear gas, a chemical weapon, is used against protesters. What else do you call it when black people are regularly under terror from police? And that is our
4: societal norm.
1: As always, that and much more, coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Everm. While protesters in D.C. are showing solidarity with activists in Portland who were still violently assaulted with tear gas, rubber bullets, and beatings this week by those anonymous federal officers, troops directed by the Trump administration. A coalition of organizations including Code Pink and the Party for Socialism and Liberation sponsored one of the rallies on Saturday, July 25th near the White House, where speakers warned of the authoritarian violation of First and Fourth Amendment rights, the unsuccessful attempt to quell this national uprising against racism, and the parallels to how the U.S. government attacks people in other countries all over the world. On the grounds, Thomas O'Rourke asked Sean Blackman, and organizer with the Stop Police Terror Project in DC if defunding the police is realistic.
5: When we look at the fact that our officials in this system has absolutely no issue defunding public education, health care, any and all social services, anything that actually helps in the development and sustenance of humanity, they have no problem defunding. Mm. And so since they can so easily defund all those things that people need, we think it is entirely realistic for, for the police to be defended. And not only do we think it's realistic, we intend to make it real. And so we have to push through the lies, through the deflection, and through the attempts to placate the movement and to placate communities. Taking the money away from the police, this will force them to be less present physically in our communities. It will take away their ability to increase their surveillance and suppressive armaments and things like weapons and all these sorts of things. And so taking the money away from the police, getting at the lifeblood of police suppression, we think is a great step in, uh, in taking and striking a blow against racist police terror in D.C.'s poor working and oppressed community.
1: On Thursday, the D.C. council voted on its final budget that still increases The police budget by $8.4 million, which is less than the $18 million Mayor Miro Bowser and Police Chief Peter Newsham requested. Now, in the aftermath of the budget fight with the D.C. Council, D.C. activists met virtually this week to discuss what's next in the Movement for Black Lives. And Chantel James attended and filed this report.
6: As the D.C. City Council recently made the last of its votes on the budget that would determine police funding for the upcoming year, Black Lives Matter D.C. hosted a webinar to address the future of the movement to defund police. A panel brought together organizers from across the city who strategize on what's next in the movement towards abolition beyond defunding the police. They brought forth perspectives on issues like removing officers from schools and ensuring community safety in a post-police D.C. Alexis, community organizer with Bread for the City, encouraged us to imagine safety in the district beyond the battle over the police budget.
7: I think what's really important to internalize as organizers, as Black people, as residents of the city, is that our struggle and our fight is so much deeper and longer than the budget cycle. Um, And that defund MPD, while it began as a budget demand and a budget campaign, um, it has to continue as a community conversation um, and initiative within our own neighborhoods, within our own wards, within our own schools and jobs, because we know that this system, even if we do win, defund MPD. our work will not be done. And it's important, I think, from where I'm coming from, especially with mutual aid and, you know, working at a direct services nonprofit is really building up community alternatives to policing and investing in our relationships with each other so that even while we're fighting to defund MPD, we're also fighting in the community to make sure that we're not even depending on them. Um, and that our neighbors don't depend on them to provide some sense of safety and that we're actually doing that for ourselves. Um, and building that from neighbor to neighbor, from you know, block to block, from school to school, from you know office to office, making sure that we have those relationships that allow us to really be safe.
6: And as organizers seize the moment to envision our community without police violence, others take a look at preserving some of the vital infrastructure a community needs to thrive. With Congress set to vote on a new coronavirus stimulus bill by August 7th, it is not yet clear whether the United States Postal Service will receive the funds it needs to stay afloat. The Institute for Policy Studies held the last of its webinar series on Thursday, and the conversation was why we need to save the Postal Service. Judy Beard Legislative Director for the American Postal Workers Union laid out the need to protect the postal workers she represents at this critical time.
8: Like all workers that are essential workers today, uh, it's stressful enough to have to go to work every day, but to come back home and wonder whether or not you know, you've been infected by a virus that can kill people. So our workers but are unique in that they want to get the work done every day. They want to provide that public service to the American people, medicines and essential goods. And they go with such a positive attitude every day at work. So it's so important that Postal Service uh, receives money uh, from this stimulus that they're discussing right now because the Postal Service could run out of money. And the money that the Postal Service needs is all COVID-related for lost revenue and expenses. Uh, and other companies have gotten billions of dollars, uh, you know, for, for during this um, crisis that we're having in in the United States. But the Postal Service has gotten zero, absolutely nothing, and that's just devastating to the workers but they still have that positive attitude that they are at work to serve the American public.
6: To keep up with upcoming Black Lives Matter events, follow them on social media at DMV Black Lives. You can find out what the Institute for Policy Studies has planned next on their website, ips-dc.org. From Northeast DC, this is Chantal James. Like
1: other states, D.C. is experiencing a budget shortfall due to decreasing revenues during the COVID-19 health and economic crisis. And that crisis only deepened this week, with the country's gross domestic product plunging a record 32.9%, COVID deaths surpassing 150,000, and more than 2 million more people filing first-time claims for unemployment for the week ending July 25th. And in other COVID-related news, after a campaign by teachers and after a protest by parents at the home of Mayor Miro Bowser this week, Bowser announced on Thursday that the D.C. public schools will start in the fall with only virtual classrooms. Details still need to be confirmed about all students having access to the proper technology, students accessing breakfast and lunch programs, and assistance for those who are failing academically. In culture and media, veterans of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee held a vigil Monday, July 27th, with the body of Representative John Lewis as it lay in state at the U.S. Capitol. Loretta Jenkins, Timothy Jenkins, Joyce Ladner, Cortland Cox, Frank Smith, and Charlene Kranz were among those who held vigil at the site of Lewis's flag-draped coffin before it was transported south where a funeral and burial were held on Thursday in Atlanta. And there will be a march to stop the continued desecration of the Moses African Cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. That will happen on Saturday, August 1st from 4 to 7 p.m. Meeting at the Tacoma Park Library, 101 Philadelphia Avenue, Tacoma Park, Maryland. More information is on Facebook events under March for Moses Cemetery. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
9: Beyond the thunder and lightning, past the clouds, over the dark night, she reached up to the sky of stars and caught the red-hot light of the North Star. with blood so free to challenge the whip, the gun, the knife, to challenged the fire pulled from the bodies of slaves made into laws, prisons, and courts.
1: This is on the ground voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averum. Well, 16,000 residents of DC offered testimony in June about the half-billion dollar budget for the district's Metropolitan Police Department, and almost all those heard during the council meeting echoed the national movement call to defund the police. We spend the remainder of this show for part 1 of our presentation of residents voices from the nation's capital. Talking about policing in this historic national uprising against police brutality and racism. The June 15th, 2020 hearing was held by Councilmember Charles Allen, Chair of the Council's Public Safety and Judiciary Committee.
10: My name is Danya Greenfield, and I have been a proud district resident for the past 23 years. The institutional racism that continues to underpin our police force and our criminal justice system cannot be ignored. I believe strongly that additional funding for police will not enhance public safety in the district. We must reprioritize where we put our money to invest in the programs and policies that are actually working. We need community-centered solutions for public safety. I consider myself extremely lucky to be a homeowner in DuPont Circle with a stable job and a robust support network. I am the kind of person that benefits from the status quo where policing favors white people. But why should my experience living in the city be so drastically different than my black and brown neighbors as a single white mother of a three year old son. I don't have to worry about the safety of my child as he steps out of our home. It pains me to think that other mothers in the district to experience fear and anxiety about what might happen to their children on the streets. This is a fear that no parent should have to endure. Unfortunately, discriminatory and misguided policies are still being practiced in D.C. Stop and frisk despite being against the law. Still happens in the district, even though the last five months of data showed a hit rate of finding weapons at barely one percent. MPD currently receives twenty five million dollars annually to police D.C. public schools. And what's the result? It increases the likelihood that young black people will be criminalized, arrested or imprisoned for adolescent behavior and responses to trauma. Despite the MPD budget and the number of police officers growing each year, homicides and gun violence continue to increase, At the same time, violence prevention programs in DC, which already make up a tiny percentage of the DC budget, have been cut significantly. This is not just about MPD getting increased funding while specific programs get cut, however. It's about the need to radically shift our priorities. We need to shift money towards non police resources that actually make us safer. It's not enough to outlaw chokeholds, release body cam footage, and institute increased training. We can't just tweak around the edges of a criminal justice and policing system that is inherently structured in a way to place black and brown residents at risk for unjustified violence and harassment. In particular, I would wanna see the existing MPD budget used for the following, to maintain and increased funding for the Office of Neighborhood and Safety Engagement and Violence Interrupter Programs, to reallocate funding from the MPD budget to pay for medical and mental health professionals and social workers to respond to emergency calls, to cut funding for police in the schools and reallocate that funding, to pay for mental health care and trauma-informed services in DC public schools, and to increase services for formerly incarcerated DC residents, including housing, education, and job assistance. It's not enough to keep doing what we're doing and hope that the situation improves magically. We need a change, and that change starts with the budget and how we resource our city to prioritize the needs of all its residents. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much. Um, I called you earlier, but so i uh, love to have you join right now.
9: Good day, Council members, and thank you for allowing hips to submit our collective testimony when we think about how much is already allocated to policing and incarceration in d c we bulk We think it is ridiculous to fund an entity that has no deliverables to aspire to. MPD has performed poorly at reducing violent crime and that is simply because they cannot. It is factual that resources, servicing, program, and job opportunities play vital roles in the lives of people, as does poverty, blight, and oppression. To validate the need to defund MPD when schools perform poorly, they face drastic cuts, resulting in repeated restructuring and adjustments to, de- to survive and deliver better. MPD, on the other hand, not so much. Giving them more money to waste is ludicrous when they are perpetrators of violence on the behalf of the state, have terrible reputations, are abusive, played active roles in sex capades with sex workers in an anti-trafficking sting. This is after getting busted for coercive actions against sex workers the year before. It's past time to not give them a raise, but to cut their budget severely due to poor performance and repeated bad behaviors that continue to go unpunished outside of the fact they're wholly ineffective at mitigating crime or addressing poverty. Now is the time to divest from the money pit and put funding towards vital services, programming, employment opportunities, and resources that will ultimately improve the health and safety of the city while providing opportunities to the most vulnerable among us. HIPPS is requesting funding for a pilot program to address the rising concern with young black males and transgender women engaging in meth use. We are seeking to reduce the spread of hepatitis C and HIV through providing safer, use training, case management, as well as provide 24-hour drop-in services for drug users, survivors, and sex workers to have unfettered access to safer using supplies and safer sex supplies to preserve and improve the health and safety of vulnerable people. We are also seeking to fund a trans technology hub to provide training and job opportunities to a long-forgotten community, Black and brown transgender women, who are the most marginalized of all residents in D.C., plus passing the Community Health and Safety Amendment Act of 2019 to free survivors and sex workers from criminalization. We are requesting a divestment to MPD, an investment into the residents who need it more than the failures we've seen from policing. What we are asking is for a drop in the pan compared to the overbloated budget MPD continues to receive and weighs year in and year out, never having to answer for failing to mitigate issues they simply cannot. Those are things we can do with resources, programs, healthcare, and access to supportive services without stigma or shame, employment opportunities, and job training. I would rather it go to education, even if we are denied. At least it would then be going to something we can believe in. What we don't believe in is policing in its current state, and truthfully, they are not trustworthy, effective, or a true value asset to the public at large. Our lives depend on concrete change, not unilateral support for complicity for murder, thuggery, rape, having a gang mentality, being extortionists, and the abusers they have shown themselves to be. They do not build the community, as they are more often than not what divides us. We keep us safe, and it's time we shifted to a society free of police and systems of
4: incarceration. Okay. Thank you very much, Tamika. Thank you. I wanted to turn to Councilmember Che, who had joined us Um, earlier. Councilmember Che had had said we'll uh, have members be able to have a five minute opening statement. So, just want to turn to you if you had any uh, opening comments you wanted to share.
11: Yes, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I I just have a few items. Um, You know, recently, as you well know, uh, we passed an emergency police uh, reform bill, uh, which has uh, many significant reforms. But to those who have sort of criticize what we've done on both sides, I simply want to say that what we did was neither perfect nor complete, and we will uh, do more. For example, uh, even the police chief himself talked about uh, his inability uh, to finalize uh, terminations of bad officers because of the arbitration clauses. Or I recently heard a proposal that maybe MPD should uh, dismiss the bottom 1% Of officers every year to be able to, you know, see that we have a a better force. But more immediately related to the budget, I had asked the police chief, what is magical about having 4,000 police officers? Also, in light of the fact that much of the budget is for salaries and benefits. What is the number 4,000? And I haven't been able to find out uh, why we have settled on that, because I don't think it's needed. And especially if we move out of the police responsibilities, things that really they shouldn't have. If we think about, you know, police officers in schools, if we think about police officers uh, t- taking care of very minor offenses or dealing with mental health problems, all of these things. And then on top of that, over the last number of years, police have. Uh, have done less in terms of uh, automobiles and parking Uh, that's been taken over. There's more administrative jobs. I don't see the need uh, for, for the 4,000 officers that should, that should have to be uh, justified. And if we have fewer officers, then obviously we have uh, amounts of money that should be uh, instead put into violence uh, prevention and other uh, needs that we have social services, uh, that we need to have. So I think that as we go forward with the budget here, that we have to uh, simply attack head on this idea that we need 4,000 officers and also to uh, relate to the idea of how many officers, the idea about what they, what they actually should be doing, other uh, jobs, and whether this is broader, I know, but, you know, decriminalization of certain actions uh, so that they are not crimes, but ones that we even want to maintain as criminal uh, matters. Maybe they should be dealt with by citation only action and not not arrests. There's a good deal to do here, but at, at its root, because we are at a budget hearing, we really have to grapple with this idea that we need this number of police officers. Uh, I, I think we surely do not, and that will give us an opportunity uh, to reinvest money in areas where we can tamp down violence, we can protect the community better, and we can provide social services that may be more important in the end uh, than having a certain number of police officers. So thank you, Mr. Chairman, that's all I have.
4: Thank you very much, Councilor chay I really appreciate you being here. All right, we're gonna move to our next panel of public witnesses, and I think that we've moved them now into uh, the panelist setting. Uh, so the next four that I had was Pranav Nanda, public witness, Charity Bryan, public witness, So we'll begin, uh, Pranav, with you, if you're there.
0: Yes, I'm here, Councilmember. Today I'm reminded of the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who once said that if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. These words compel me to speak today, but before I begin, I want to acknowledge the names of Marquis Olson, Raphael Briscoe, Terrence Sterling, Miriam Carey, Dequan Young, Jeffrey Price, and many other known and unknown victims who are not here today because of police terror. While I appreciate the efforts of the Council on this, simply passing emergency reforms is not enough. We need to make significant changes to the way we think about public safety. This is why the D.C. Council must reject the proposed increase to MPD's budget, invest that funding in community-based programs, and take steps to eventually disband MPD in favor of community-centered solutions for public safety. In the proposed budget, MPD received a substantial increase in funding while several critical community-based services funds were decreased or cut. This is despite the fact MPD receives more than four times the funding of DOH, even while we're in the midst of a global pandemic, and roughly the same funding as DBH, DOES, DHCD, and the D.C. Housing Authority subsidy combined. This is absurd. More police do not make us safer in our communities, in our schools. If it did, D.C. would be one of the safest cities in the U.S. as we have the highest police per capita of any city. As a former teacher, I can tell you that police officers in schools do not keep students safe. In fact, it can do the opposite as it increases the school-to-prison pipeline, especially for Black students. We must listen directly to youth leaders who call for removing officers from their schools and replacing them with mental health professionals and violence interrupters. On a broad scale, we must invest in community-based programs that actually keep us safe, instead of continuing to throw more and more money to try and reform programs that do not. The ineffectiveness and added danger created by over-policing should be reason enough for this committee to soundly reject the proposed increase in MPD's budget. The nationwide outreach is reflective of a fundamental shift in how people look at public safety. In order to keep us safe, we need to fully invest in fighting the real perpetrator of violence, the historic and systematic oppression of marginalized communities in D.C., specifically the Black community. This can only be done by taking steps to secure everyone's individual's basic needs, including healthcare, housing, education, and so much more, not through funding more police. Over the past few weeks, we all came together to say Black Lives Matter, Let's prove that this means more than just painting words on the street. Let's prove it with
4: action. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, Next on the list, uh, we have Charity Bryan. Okay, great. Hi, uh,
12: my name is Charity Bryan. I'm a black woman, a nine year resident of Ward 3 as well as a DC small business owner. I'm here to demand that the DC council abolish the Metropolitan Police Department effective immediately. I'm not making this demand lightly. In 2018, on Thanksgiving evening, I was sexually assaulted on a DC street. I called 911. MPD responded and almost immediately made the situation worse. Multiple officers discussed with each other with an earshot of me that the assault wasn't that bad. While waiting for detectives to arrive, the arresting officer paraded the person that just assaulted me by the patrol car that I was sitting in, giving him direct access to view me just so that the officers could chit chat. Within days after my assault, the reporting officer that I sat in a patrol car with for over two hours called me. I assumed it was to follow up regarding the case. I was incorrect. He called to assert his power over me. While I was healing from a sexual trauma he called to sexually harass me. This is only one of several negative and harmful experiences that I have endured and or witnessed being perpetuated by MPD. The trauma that was inflicted upon me by MPD officers is everlasting. Now imagine if there were trauma informed victim advocates that were dispatched and present to assist me during my time of crisis to intervene when officers were inappropriate to minimize my overall contact with NPD. My experience would have been significantly better. And You don't have to create these organizations out of thin air. They already exist within the DC community. I've had the honor of working for some of them in the past. However, they are severely underfunded and unable to do their jobs to the full extent because of this. Your budget proposal for FY21 is to decrease the funding going to the Office of Victim Services and Justice Grants by 6.8%, bringing the budget down to $50 million from $54 million. Approximately 100 organizations, including the DC Rape Crisis Center, who provide support to sexual assault survivors. The Women's Center who provides mental health services, legal aid providing legal support and the House of Ruth providing housing services rely on OVSJG funds to support the community. Your insistence and prioritization of increasing funds to MPD who has time and time again wreaked havoc on DC's black community while you allow community-based programs to fall by the wayside is tone deaf, unacceptable and at the root anti-black. So again, I demand that you abolish MPD and reallocate the funds where they are needed and will do the most good. Thank you.
7: You
1: are listening to DC residents testifying before the DC council about policing on June 15th, 2020. This is on the ground voices of resistance from the nation's capital on pacifica radio stay with us
4: Have on our agenda uh, is Eduardo Ferrer, public witness, uh, Jahi Weiss, public witness, and Nia public witness. Uh, so Mr. Ferrer, we'll begin with you. I, I see you there. So whenever you're ready, if you want to unmute, and
13: then um, you can begin. Thank you. Good morning, Chairman Allen, Councilmember Che, and members of the Committee on Judiciary and Public Safety. My name is Eduardo Ferrer. I'm a Ward 5 resident, and for identification purposes, the Policy Director at the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Initiative and a visiting professor in the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Clinic. Thank you for the opportunity to testify today. The last few weeks in the District of Columbia have highlighted a long-known fact. D.C. is one of the most, if not the most, over-policed city in the U.S. If MPD's FY21 budget is approved as proposed, MPD will have over 4,000 sworn officers and 795 civilian FTEs. This level of staffing will mark an increase from the 3,753 sworn and 599 civilian FTEs MPD had in 2016, when it had the third highest rate of officers per capita of any city over 25,000 residents. This is a further increase from the 3,821 sworn officers that MPD had in October 2017, when it was reported that Chief Newsham told the council, I feel comfortable with the size of the force right now. Additionally, 4,001 sworn FTS in FY 2021 is well ahead of Mayor Bowser's reported goal of having 4,000 sworn officers by 2023. We don't need 25 million more going to expand an outdated, ineffective, law enforcement-centric approach to public safety. Even if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic that led to a huge budget deficit that has already disproportionately affected our Black and Brown communities, now would not be the time to invest in more police. We need to move past a discussion that centers the question on how many officers we need to keep us safe, and instead center the question on the investments we need to make in our youth, families, and community to create a DC that needs as few officers as possible. Now is the time to make that shift. When the council passed and funded the NEAR Act, it marked a monumental shift to a public health approach to violence. And now is the time that we triple down on that change. So I would recommend that we do three things. First, MPD should not be given a $25 million raise. Instead, that money should be reallocated to a host of, uh, to restoring cuts to a host of community development, behavioral health, and other support services that I have listed in my written testimony that I submitted to the office. Things like restoring the cuts to the one's office, supporting the Cure the Streets program, fully funding school-based mental health, and piloting a community-led safe passage program, among others. Second, the council should impose an effective hiring freeze on MPD. Going into this fiscal year, it has about 235 vacancies from the last fiscal year. Assuming about $100,000 per FTE, that would free up another $23 million that could be reinvested in the public health approach. And third, this committee as a whole should look at deeper cuts. Specifically, it should look to Black Swan Academy's police-free campaign for the schools, Return the $23 million budget that DCPS sends to MPD back to DCPS, and zero out the school safety division entirely. In total, this would free about $59 million to reinvest. Thank you.
4: Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate your testimony. Uh, next on our list, we have uh, Jahai Wise, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. Please, please correct me if I mispronounced that.
14: Yes, good afternoon, uh, Councilmember Allen and other members of the committee. Uh, My name is Jahiwaz. I'm a resident of Brightwood uh, in Ward 4. Um, To begin, for the record, I testify in solidarity with the families of Jeff Price, Terrence Sterling, Marquise Alston, Daquan Young, and the many others who have experienced the trauma of police violence. Also for the record, I testify in solidarity with the thousands of youth leaders, organizers, and neighbors whose direct actions over the last two weeks created the imperative for this hearing to take place. As drafted, the proposed FY 2021 budget would increase spending on policing while cutting spending on programs relating to community safety, mental health, and housing. Programs that are absolutely critical to low income black and brown families who are reeling from the pandemic, the subsequent economic collapse and decades of systematic racialized divestment. The distribution of resources in the proposed FY 2021 budget is unacceptable. Further, the proposed MPD budget continues to freight MPD with functions, for example, social work, public health outreach, and youth development, which are far outside of their core crime prevention function. Accordingly, I testify in support of the following three policy proposals. First, reversing the proposed MPD budget increase to fully fund community-centered approaches to violence prevention, including but not limited to reversing proposed cuts to the violence interrupter programs and to community and school-based behavioral health services. Second, investing the funds associated with MPD's contract with DCPS in social emotional health services and academic supports for students. It is absolutely unconscionable that the current social worker to student ratio in high-need schools is nearly four times the recommended national ratio. No DCPS school should have an SRO and not also have a nurse, a counselor, and a social worker. Third, adopting some of the revenue raising proposals of the DC Fiscal Policy Institute, Fair Budget Coalition and others. The revenue raised from such policy proposals should be used to fully fund permanent supportive housing programs and sorely needed repairs to public housing. This body must exercise the courage to craft a budget that reflects the values of our community as articulated by residents in the streets over the last two weeks a budget that charts a course away from the failed policing strategies of the past towards a safer, fairer, and racially just community. I yield the balance of my time.
4: Thank you very much, JD, for your testimony. Uh, Next up, I had Nia Evans, and so um, I see you there and unmuted. Thank you very much whenever you're ready. Hi, my
2: name is Nia Evans. I was born in D.C. My family and I own a home at the corner of 14th and Corcoran Street in Ward 2, very near the pro- where the protesters were attacked and kettled by police officers on 15th and Swan Street in the last few weeks. Simply put, I'm disgusted by the actions of MPD in every way and the complicity of the council for allowing them to act this way for so long. They've acted illegally, ignored the law, harmed black and brown residents and children, engaged in sexual misconduct and abuse, cost the city millions in settlements. Chief Newsom alone has a long history of abuse and brutality. He should have never been hired. Simply put, the Metropolitan Police Department does not create safety. They are agents of violence and harm. As a result, I'm calling for the council to defund the Metropolitan Police Department and for Chief Newsom to to resign. As an education advocate in D.C., I've worked with Black girls of all ages to close the school-to-prison pipeline. They've told me terrible stories about police abuse and misconducts. Police officers stopping them at the school door, refusing to allow them to go to school because they're wearing the wrong color pants or shoes. Police demanding that they remove items of clothing like sweaters or head wraps because they think they're out of dress code. Children are being overpoliced, pushed out and criminalized by police every single day. This behavior is unacceptable and council, it is on your hands. It must stop now. The recent weak, inadequate police reform bill is not sufficient in any way, shape or form. Saying Black Lives Matter or praising empty performative gestures while ignoring our demands and needs is also not the answer. We must defund the police and spend the money on things that actually make our community safer. Schools, healthcare, housing, mental health services, violence interruption programs. I'm calling on the D.C. Council to be on the right side of history and to make data-driven decisions. The data is clear. MPD is failing. It's harming citizens. It breeds a culture of violence and racism that cannot be reformed. I'm asking for you to stand with D.C. residents who are being abused and brutalized and who deserve far better. Listen to Black Swan Academy, BYP 100, Black Lives Matter, D.C., defund MPD, remove them from D.C. schools, traditional and charter schools now. I'm asking you to reject the mayor's budget and propose increase to MPD and invest in community driven safety supports and dedicate more time to hearing from citizens. This is an extraordinary time. I appreciate the work that's been done to give us this extra space. We need more. Please be on the right side of history. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much. Um, Next, I have Henry Druchel. I see you there. Um, You're unmuted, so I think you're ready to go whenever you're ready.
15: Good afternoon. My name is Henry Druchel. I'm a resident of Ward 6. I work as a public defender in Maryland. I want to talk to the committee about uh, Bobby Gross. Uh, Mr. Gross was black. Mr. Gross was 35 years old on March 12, 2015, when a train operator saw Mr. Gross walking through a tunnel near the Potomac Avenue metro station. Um, At the time, Mr. Gross was carrying a three-foot-long branch. Um, Shortly after that, a police officer confronted Mr. Gross. She told him to drop the branch, and when he didn't, she shot him. He continued to walk toward her. She shot him another three times, and as he fell forward, she shot him a fifth time. He fell into the tracks. He died. Mr. Gross was born in Washington. Mr. Gross lived in the DMV his whole life. In 1980, when Mr. Gross was born, the district spent roughly $177 per person on the Metropolitan Police Department. In 2015, the year Bobby Gross was killed, the district spent $755 per person on the MPD. And Mayor Bowser's proposed budget for 2021 raises that number to $819 per person. All that money sent to the MPD didn't help Bobby Gross. And Bobby Gross could have used the help. He was 17 years old in 1997 when he was charged with assault relating to his involvement in a shooting in Virginia. Mayor Bowser's proposed budget cuts funding for community-based gun violence prevention and intervention programs by $805,000. Mr. Gross served one year in prison as a result of that incident, but after his release, struggled to find employment and support. Mayor Bowser's proposed budget cuts funding for inmate adjustment and developmental support programs, things that can help incarcerated people rebuild their life after prison and reduce recidivism by $144,000. And for the rest of Mr. Gross's life, he struggled with addiction, homelessness, and mental illness. Mayor Bowser's proposed budget for 2021 cuts funding for the Department of Behavioral Health by more than $24 million. Over Bobby Gross's lifetime, spending on the MPD bloomed. And the district did get safer, but not because of the MPD. Rates of property crime and violent crime were cut in half between 1980 and 2015, thanks not to increased policing but to increased investment in our communities and increased spending on exactly the kinds of programs that Mayor Bowser is proposing to cut. If per capita spending on the MPD were reset to its 2015 levels, the district would have about $45 million to spend this year. If it were reset to 1980 levels, the district would have $450 million to spend. Imagine what that money could do for our city. Imagine what that money could have done for Bobby Gross. Instead, Mayor Bowser's proposed budget sends the MPD another $18 million. Funding the police like this doesn't keep me safe. It doesn't keep my neighbors safe. And it killed Bobby Gross. It doesn't have to be this way. Defund the police and invest in our communities. Thank you.
9: Change? I guess change is good for any of us. Whatever it takes for any of y'all to get up out the hood. I'm with you. I ain't mad at you. Got all but love for you. Do you think, boy? All the homies that I ain't talked to. Wow. Well, I'ma send this one out for
5: y'all. Know what I mean? Cause I ain't bad at you. Heard y'all tearing up out there, kicking up dust, giving a motherfucker. <laughs> yes. Cause I ain't bad at you. I ain't bad at you.
6: I ain't bad at you. Yeah.
9: Forgive us for living Why all my homies stuck in prison? Barely grieving, believing that the world is a prison. It's like a ghetto we can never leave. A broken rose giving bloom through the cracks of the concrete. So many other things for us to see things to be, our history so full of tragedy and misery, to all my homies never made it home, the dead peers I shed tattoo tears for when I'm alone, picture us inside a ghetto heaven, a place to rest, in peace through this land of stress in my chest I feel pain coming sudden storms. light full of rain in this game, watch for land on our unborn, never got to grow, never got to see what's next, in this world full of countless threats I beg God to make a way for our ghetto kids to breathe, show us I'm Make us all believe, cause I ain't mad at you. All the homeboys that passed away. I ain't mad. All the homeboys locked in jail. All the people that lost the love on this year. I ain't mad I, I
5: ain't mad at
9: you. I ain't mad at you.
16: My name is Leila Abdelaziz. I am a law student and resident of Ward 3. I also joined this call as a member of Occupation Free DC, which works in solidarity with Palestinian people and US movements to abolish prisons and police to secure liberation for black people. Our current campaign demands an end to MPD's participation in U.S.-Israeli counterterrorism police exchanges. I add my voice to the thousands of D.C. residents calling on you to significantly divest from MPD's inflated budget, redirect and invest those funds in community programs, and create police-free schools for D.C. children. I invite you to hear the profound compassion and humanity offered to us by the abolitionist framework and ask you to embrace any resulting cynicism with curiosity rather than discomfort. To support Black Lives Matter is to trust Black people when they say that Black Lives Matter means divesting from inflated police budgets. We have a moral question that only you have the power to make the right choice on. Will we accept the mayor's proposal to defund human needs like housing and violence interruption and fund more police? Will we accept our residents' death so callously that we invest in riot gear for police and not personal protective equipment for essential workers? We so often challenge the police on the streets. Who do you protect? Who do you serve? But today, the people have come to you, our elected officials who fund the system, to ask you, who do you protect? Who do you serve? When you continue to fund policing and militarism rather than our community's needs. As the city braces for a COVID-related economic recovery, the demand to divest from MPD's half-a-billion-dollar budget and invest in the community offers all of us an opportunity for economic transformation. Please do not dismiss these demands with pleas for process and review. The city has been in a cycle of reviewing and reforming MPD's practices for decades and reform has failed to protect Black life. MPD continues to dodge accountability when it kills our fellow residents. The families of Marquise Alston and Daquan Young still do not know the names of the officers who killed their sons and are still waiting for the body camera footage of the murders. The police fail us individually and collectively. DC is the most police city in the country and nearly 90% of people incarcerated in her jails are black. And yet for all this over-policing and mass incarceration, our communities are still not safe from the violence of police, inter-community conflict, homelessness, poverty, and other societal problems that are literally killing our black neighbors and friends. Now, Chief Newsham wants to increase the MPD police force to 4,000 officers, and Mayor Bowser wants to fund a new jail. Meanwhile, the mayor's proposed budget cuts more than $150 million from other city agencies. Divest, divest, divest. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much for your testimony. Uh, Yvonne, I see you. If you're able to uh, unmute, and then whenever you're ready to begin.
17: Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Good afternoon. My name is Yvonne Slosarski, and I'm testifying today to urge you to defund the MPD and to fund community programs that actually keep people safe. Um, My experiences and my education have informed this demand. Um, I've been a resident of the district since 2011, first in Ward 6 and now in in Ward 5. When I lived in Ward 6, Terrence Sterling was murdered by police on my block in 2016. I've also been a tenant organizer for a few years, working mostly with tenants in Section 8 housing in Ward 8. Tenants there have been fighting for safe housing for a very long time. Their buildings are contaminated with mold and vermin, which exasperates the asthma of adults, adolescents, and young children alike. The pipes have not been refitted since the buildings were built in the 1950s, so their water is undrinkable. And residents consistently face gun violence and its rippling consequences despite increasing bu- police budgets. I also currently work for a healthcare workers union where I work with frontline caregivers who are fighting coronavirus in the district without proper PPE, staffing, and compensation. And the story is always the same. The more black and working class residents they care for, the fewer resources they have to provide quality care. These experiences are why I'm testifying today, because while police budgets balloon, the programs and initiatives that provide actual safety, things like quality health care, decent housing, violence interruption, are consistently defunded. Um, I also studied the rhetoric of austerity while I earned my Ph.D., Um, I learned that when politicians and the wealthy work together to cut resources for black, brown, working and poor people, they often increase policing of these communities and call it safety. For decades, the police have been presented as the only choice for safety as we've moved away from funding public goods. I've also learned that inherent in some calls for more policing are desires for safety and harm reduction. But decades of austerity have stripped us of the vocabulary to articulate these needs beyond police. But we know that policing is not keeping people safe. That's why I urge you to defund the MPD and redirect those funds towards community safety initiatives. These programs include violence interruption, training and employment for healthcare workers who can respond to emergencies with care, quality healthcare for all residents, and uh, enough money to refurbish public housing, and so much more. Thank you for your time and consideration.
4: Thank you so much for joining us. and appreciate your testimony. Uh, Next up, Judith Sandalow, Executive Director of the Children's Law Center. Whenever you're ready to begin.
3: Thank you. Good afternoon, Chairman Allen and members of the committee. My name is Judith Sandalow. I'm the Executive Director of Children's Law Center and a resident of the district. I'm testifying today on behalf of Children's Law Center, which fights so every DC child can grow up with a loving family, good health, and a quality education. With nearly 100 staff and hundreds of pro bono lawyers, Children's Law Center reaches one out of every nine children in DC's poorest neighborhoods, more than 5,000 children and families each year. Virtually all of the children and youth that Children's Law Center represents are black and brown, and many of them routinely interact with the Metropolitan Police Department. I'd like to focus my three minutes on some of the of, of their experiences, which help explain why my written testimony calls for redirecting the $17.5 million increase in the MPD's budget to other programs that will better promote community safety, such as violence interruption, mental health, and emergency rental assistance, and why we support a thorough rethinking of the role of police in our community, and why we ask you to include young people in that discussion. The children and families we work with often view the police with suspicion and fear based on their own experiences and the situations they've witnessed. Police are present almost everywhere our children go, on the street, in their schools, when they interact with the child welfare system, in homeless shelters, and sometimes in their own homes. In fact, as part of our work with youth in foster care, our attorneys regularly counsel children and youth on youth and how to best manage these incredibly high stakes contacts with the police because we fear for their short and long-term physical safety, their freedom, and their emotional health. Our child clients often experience police in schools as creating problems, not solving them. Here are just a few of those experiences. A nine-year-old child who was handcuffed because they were emotionally dysregulated. An 11-year-old child who who refused to get on the school bus and the response was for DCPS to call the police. A five-year-old child was visited by a uniformed MPD officer, not a social worker, and taken away alone to be interviewed about abuse allegations. A fifth grade student who left the school building but remained on campus. The elementary school called MPD who responded by escalating the situation to the point of putting the child into restraints. When disability and race intersect, the impact is compounded. National trends show that students with disabilities are nearly three times more likely to be arrested than their general education peers. Student resource officer interactions with students with disabilities can be especially problematic because SROs are not school employees They do not have access to the education and behavior plans created specifically to address each student's needs. This leads to police officers, not mental health professionals, responding to a mental health crisis with little or no information about the child's special needs, triggers, or preferred de-escalation strategies. The mayor's proposed FY21 budget gives the district the opportunity to prioritize investments in our communities to ensure we can all access an equitable recovery while also addressing our community's concerns about policing. Continuing to increase the empty budget is the wrong way to use scarce resources to improve the safety of our community. Thank
1: you. You have been listening to part one of our presentation of D.C. residents testifying before the D.C. Council about policing. Part two is next week. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground. ground Onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. Special thanks to Chantel James and Thomas O'Rourke. And thanks to our supporters on Patreon. You can also listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us there as well. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook, Twitter, or patreon.com forward slash onthegroundshow. Our new podcast is On the Ground with Esther Averam. That's On the Ground, W, Esther Averam, And that's on all your podcast platforms. Our new podcast, our social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. The music we played this hour included Street Fighter Moss by Kamasi Washington, The North Star by Fred Foss featuring Gaston Neal, our remix of I Ain't Mad At You" by Tupac Shakur, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Mr. Aviram. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.